Kansas City Chiefs play this evening because we're not as worried about the Green Bay Tampa Bay game. That's kind of like who cares who's going to lose to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. The key is uh, the, how do the Chiefs get there. So I'm pretty stoked about it. I've been playing catch with Coach Bowman this morning and, and I'm feeling the vibe. Okay. Now here's what we're doing in this class. We are turning the PowerPoint there. Yes. We are doing a deep dive into the Galatian letter. And today, we're going to be looking at the power and the sanctity of the gospel. Now, you may be joining us on the internet. You may be in here. We have all sorts of people in here. We've got young people. Not you, Ollie, your twin sister. We've got older people. Um me and we've got people in between we've got people who read Greek better than I do we've got people who don't read Greek at all we've got people on the internet who fit into the range too I got an email this week from a gentleman in in Johnson City Tennessee he hello Greg he and his wife uh, uh, said, look, we're not Greek scholars, but we've got a couple of really good Greek books and we like watching this on the internet because we go back to our Greek books and try to figure out what you're saying. thought that's pretty good. I'm glad y'all don't have a stop, a pause, a rewind button in here because we might never, you'd figure out how to change channels too. But those who are on the internet can stop and look and, and search. So I'm really jazzed because this is a chance for us to really dig in much more than, than you can in a general sermon. A general sermon is, is in a different uh, uh, format for a different purpose than this. This is technically Bible study. And so some of you watching this may think, I don't even get those words, the power and sanctity of the gospel. If you don't get those words, that's okay. You will. Just stay tuned. But last week we started. In the time of class, I didn't have time to get through everything, but I want us to get a good running start here. So it's a brief review of last week before we dig into new material. Last week I told you that what Paul is saying is this is serious stuff and we better pay attention. So last week as a class we looked at how do you study a letter? Because Galatians is a letter that Paul wrote to churches in Galatia. So step one of last week, how do we study a letter? Step two, we looked at background information of the Galatians themselves to try to understand a little of the culture and what may have been going on. And then we started to dig into the text. 
into the actual letter Paul wrote. And we went to the first chapter, started with the first verse, started with the first word. And the goal was to make it through five verses. I got a little bogged down. I didn't make it through five verses. It's my fault. But that's okay. We're not going back over how to study an epistle. We're not going back over the background. If you want them, they're on the internet. But we are going to look briefly at those first five verses and remind you of what I was saying last week and then fill in the blanks of things that I didn't get a chance to say. So it began, and I'm going to keep like I did last week. I'm going to keep the English on the right, and I'm going to keep the Greek on the left. And when I give an English word that I'm talking about, I'll put it in red so that you can see it. And then on the Greek side, I'll put the same word in red. And you'll know enough, you can sort of tell if you look at this first word, apostle, A-P-O-S. Look at that, the way that works. If I come out here, I can almost, whoa, oh, it's not going to work. Paul, an apostle. I need like a yardstick, coach, where I can like, bam. Paul, an apostle. If you look at the Greek over here, you can see that same letter A. And you took math, so you know pi, the pi shape, that's the P in Greek, A-P-O. And then that O that grew uh, an arm out the top of its head is an S-T-O. You can kind of see that, so you'll get a chance to look along. But I talked last week, apostle is not a, a magic Christian invention word. It was a common word in Greek. Apostolos in the Greek referenced someone who's a delegate, an envoy, a messenger. When uh, uh, President Biden will appoint someone to be the U.S. delegate to the United Nations. That person is, in Greek, an apostle. Or you may call FedEx to come pick up an envelope and take it to someone else. That FedEx person is an apostle. How about this? You send a letter and it gets taken to somebody. Who delivers it? The apostle or the postal worker. See? So there is a general sense, and Jesus even uses the word to talk about a messenger is not greater than its master that sent it. John 13, 16. But there is another sense that an apostle is someone who's been commissioned with special authority. I used the illustration last week. I'm licensed to practice law in Texas and New York. So you can say that I'm a lawyer. But there's a difference between simply saying I'm a lawyer and saying I represent you, Beverly. I am your lawyer, and so when I go into court as Beverly's lawyer, what I say binds Beverly. That I have the authority from Beverly. I can't do that just because I'm in the mood. Don't worry that I'm going to go into court and represent you. I have to have a power of attorney that gives me the power and the authorization to do it. But if Beverly gives me that power of attorney, I have the authority to go in there and represent Beverly okay Paul makes it real clear Paul is not one of these general apostles Paul is not just a messenger sent on an errand Paul is not an ordinary apostle he is not from men no man sent Paul Paul doesn't come with any man's authority 
Paul says he wasn't sent from men. He wasn't sent through men. Paul is not a general apostle. Paul is one who's been commissioned with authority. Paul represents someone. Now, whose authority? That's what Paul says. I'm an apostle. I'm not from men nor through man, but I'm through Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's who sent me. That's my authority. That's on whose behalf I'm speaking. So this is serious. You need to pay attention. And let's be real clear. I'm talking about Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Fact. That's what God did. And that's very relevant to the message that Paul comes to, to, to preach. So Paul says, so that's who I am. And I'm writing this along with all of the brothers who are with me. And I'm writing it to the churches of Galatia. Now let's pause for a moment and let's talk about church. First of all, if we talk about church, that's not what we're talking about. And you say, well, yeah, of course not. That looks like it's in New England. Uh, it would be something like that in Turkey, ancient Turkey. No, that's not what we're talking about either. The word church in Greek is ekklesia. And ekklesia means a gathering of people. Now, it can mean a legislative body, like the U.S. Senate is an ecclesia, a church in the Greek sense of the word. That might seem ironic to some. It can mean a, a casual gathering of people. Hey, let's get together and have a cup of coffee and play bridge. Some people still do that. I love to play bridge. I beat Janet Seaford in bridge. Beat Janet Seaford in tennis. Well, we hadn't really played tennis, but I would. Um, <clears throat> a casual gathering of people. The passage I put down here is 1 Samuel 19.20. It's when the prophets gathered together for Baal. They just got together to, 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 to have a fight, actually, with the prophet of God. People with a shared belief. And that's very common in the Old Testament. The assembly of Israel is called a church. People with a shared belief. If you look at Matthew 18, 17. I told Becky this morning, I said, Beck, I don't know how I'm going to get through all of this. And she says, I, I said, I've got to go quick. And she says, why are you in a hurry? I thought, that's a good point. Thank you, God, for my wife and her common sense. So let's take a moment and look at Matthew 18, 17. Because this is an interesting passage. This passage uh, gives cynics of the Bible a reason to complain about the Bible. But those cynics of the Bible are very poor Greek students if they're complaining about this. This is the passage. Jesus is saying this. This is Jesus. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Now, if he listens to you, presto, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, 
Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you like a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, cynics of the Bible will say, well, clearly Jesus didn't say that because the church isn't established until after Jesus' resurrection. How would anybody even know what he was talking about? Well, Jesus would have been using the Hebrew equivalent of ecclesia, which is translated church, but it means, and it meant for Israel, people with a shared belief, the community. And so what, what Jesus is saying is, you go to the person, confront them one-on-one. -on -one. If that doesn't work, bring two or three witnesses to make sure the charges are laid out. If that doesn't work, take it to the larger group, the larger fellowship. It's intervention time. If that doesn't work out, eh, let them be like a Gentile or a tax collector. Don't let them be part of your group. And so this idea of people with a shared belief is what the church is. But our shared belief is what Paul is going to be driving home in Galatians. So he's writing to the churches, to the people. The church of Jesus Christ is not a building. It's not a denomination. It is the group of people that share in common the redemption that comes from the cross of Christ. That is the church. And in a sense, there are congregations, churches, but this same Paul will write to the Ephesians that there is one church because there's really one large, in God's care, kingdom of believers in Christ. So with that, Paul says to the churches, grace to you. Now, grace, charis, is a typical Greek greeting at the start of a letter. If you're going to get a letter, by the way, have you noticed the difference in emails between people in England and people in the U.S.? I don't know if you've got English pen pals, but if you do, they always start even an email with, Dear Mark. And I'm like, all you're doing is saying yes. Just put yes and send me an email. What's this, Dear Mark? You know, I'll ask a question. Hey, do you have this? Dear Mark, yes. Very truly yours. I'm like, okay, dear me. Um, so, but, but that's just a formal way they do things. A typical Greek letter is going to begin with the word charis, grace. It's a, it's a marvelous way of, of starting something. You know, if dear Santa, dear Mark, dear whatever it may be. Now, that's a typical way, but the Greek word itself is a word that has a very practical application of caring. It's an expression of caring that, that is not simply an emotion, but, but has practical applications. It, 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 it makes a difference in life. It can be translated gift. It is the root of the word for charismatic. Charis is, grace is the root of the word charismatic. Someone who believes in gifts from the Holy Spirit. 
So, when you read this as Paul does it, understand, and I don't have time to get into this, but we'll get into it later, but understand that Paul is using a typical Greek in, uh, introduction, but he's using it loaded with special Christian meaning. We'll look at this as we get through the letter. That's why I don't need to do it now. Peace. So grace to you and peace. Now, if you're writing an email in Hebrew back then, a Hebrew letter, a typical start is the word shalom. Irene in the Greek is the, the Greek equivalent. It just means peace. But peace not in, in a, not in a sense of no fighting. Peace in a full sense of that Hebrew word shalom, which is a, 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 a prosperity, a, a, a joy, a, a, a fulfillment. Uh, everything's okay. Everything's at rest. Your worries are taken care of. It's a beautiful, heavy term. But it's a typical term at the start of a letter. And what Paul has done here is he's taken that idea of shalom and he's melded the Hebrew with the Greek to let them know that he's blessing them with all of this blessing from God. This isn't merely dear Galatians. He's blessing them with all the blessings of God. And so, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're missing something if we don't see how those two go together there. They're different, yet they're the same. There are a lot of people. Heavens, we have people who come to this class or watch it on the line that believe Jesus was a marvelous fellow, a prophet even but not on the level of God the Father. And I hope to show that that is not a full assessment of the Godness that is Jesus. Jesus is in equal parts. So Paul can write about the grace of God or the grace of Christ. And in this letter, he does both. In Galatians 2.21, he'll reference grace, the gift of God, as the grace of God. Whereas here, he's got it as the grace of God or Christ. Look at Galatians 2.21. Oops, uh, here we go. Galatians 2.21 says, I don't nullify the grace of God. If righteousness were through law, Christ died for no purpose. So he can talk about the grace of God, or he can just as easily talk about the grace, look at verse 6, of Christ. They are one and the same. Because God and Christ are one and the same. So notice how he does this in this verse. How he says in this verse, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One and the same. By the same token, you can talk about the peace of God. Paul will talk about the peace of God and just as readily the peace of Christ. It's the same peace. Because Jesus Christ is God. 
God is Jesus Christ. So within the framework of that, Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Now, this word gave is dontos here. It's an irregular verb. It's a participle in the aorist form. And it's not always true that the aorist refers to time, but I think in this case very clearly, Paul is referencing something Christ did. Now, you may have just got lost when I threw those Greek words in there, so let, or grammatical words, so let me, let me say it this way. The translators properly translate that this is Christ who gave himself. Like, you give a gift who gave himself, but it's something Christ has already done. It is a finished work that Christ has completed before the action of the main verb to deliver us. Christ has already given himself and that is how he has delivered us from the present evil age. Um, this is a really cool book to me. Uh, my Greek professor taught Greek at my school for, well, he taught it in the 1950s, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, and in the two, so six decades of teaching Greek. And after he passed away, I made a reference to a story of him last week, Dr. Floyd, in the class. But after he passed away, someone was kind enough to let me have a copy of his Greek New Testament. And so we used the best scanners we could, and we scanned it. And we bound like 50 copies for all of us ex-students so that we could have his notes. So this is... Dr. Floyd's Greek New Testament. Ah, there we go. Dr. Floyd's Greek New Testament with notes. And I was reading through it for Galatians this morning. And I had to add a slide to the PowerPoint. This is Galatians. Pros Galatas is the, the cap chapter of the book. It begins like you would be seeing, if I put mine up there, Paulos Apostolos, this is the beginning of the book. But there's a note here where Dr. Floyd has underlined this word, who gave himself, to dontos, who gave Yautone himself. Now, his underline references a note over here, which is really hard to make out. So I typed it onto a slide. What Christ did, and he underlined did, did saves us. Not what he would feign to do now. God doesn't need to do anything more to save you, me, or anyone else. He's already done it. God doesn't need to do anything more to deliver you and I from this present evil age. He's already done it. Now you may say, but I don't see that. There is a deceiver at work in this world who will work in your life and, in your, your, and, and, and try to distract you from the truth that Paul is writing about. 
will try to distort the truth that Paul is writing to you and to me and to all in the church. And the truth of the matter is, Christ has already done this. We have the victory. And we should not be beguiled into thinking otherwise. Or later on, as Paul will say to the Galatians, who has bewitched you on this issue? So Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Now that word deliver, let me see if I, I don't have it segregated out there. But, it, excuse me, it's ex elatai. That word deliver means, first of all, it's an unusual word for Paul to use. I think this is the only time Paul uses it in this context, but I could be wrong. Paul generally will use sozo to save us from this present evil age or something like that. But this word deliver uh, uh, from the verb exireo is a really cool picture word. Because it basically kind of means to gouge out or to carve out or to tear out. Or to rescue. And what Jesus has done for you and for me is he has gouged us, he has gouged us out of this world. Look, look at the time we live in. We live in the age, the evil age, but we aren't of the evil age. We've been carved out. We've been gouged out in some circumstances. We've been torn out. We've been rescued from this present evil age. Look, you may have health problems. That's part of this present evil age. And I want to give you some assurance that even with health problems, Christ has delivered you. You are not yet what you will be, but you already are in Christ. You may have money problems. And Christ has, that's, that is a problem of this present evil age. But Christ has already done the work to deliver you from that. You say, well, how? Where is the money I need for this month's groceries or rent? The answer's not that he's become your ATM and that you just punch in the buttons with prayer and out comes the dough. And it's not the kind of thing where you prime it. He's, he's like, okay, you, you, you give sin, you know, this is not a Ponzi scheme. Send me 20 bucks and I'll make sure God sends you back 20, 30. You'll make money off of it. No. Flee from that. But God says this, if you're experiencing financial trouble, I want you to really dig into my word and try to figure out how to live by godly principles of money. I want you to pray about it. I want you to seek to work to make the money you need to make to live. And I'm going to empower you and I'm going to give you wisdom and I'm going to give you insight because Christ has already done the work to conquer this present evil age. And that deliverance is ours to walk in. And it's not a bam overnight, generally. But it is certainly no less real 
as we, you know, I go back to, was it Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who had to go through the fiery furnace? God didn't spare them from having to go through it. He spared them as they went through it. We go through suffering, difficulties, turmoil. It's part of the present evil age, but it's not our destiny. And you don't have to worry when you die and you get to heaven, you don't have to worry that your debts are going to follow you. All right, so we live in the age, but we're not of the age. He's going to save us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, this in the Greek over here is poneru is, uh, poneru is evil. Thelema is will. Um, those are buzzwords in the church if you read Greek. Let me tell you why. The early church would say the Lord's Prayer three times a day. That's like vitamins. Take them three times a day, though. It's three times a day vitamins. And in the Lord's Prayer, those two words are there. And they're there even in the same form Paul uses them here. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. According to the will, thele masu, thy will in the prayer. Thele masu, same word. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Poneru, same Greek word. It is the will of God, and he has delivered us from the present evil age. And we pray it because we need to experience what has been declared from the eternal throne of God to be the truth. And that's why Jesus says, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You've been delivered, you've been set free, and so have I. Now Paul packs all of this together. The echo of the Lord's prayer, deliver us from evil, thy will be done. He packs all of this together and then he ends this with, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. And those words, ever and ever, amen, are really a translation of um, ionos ton ionon, which is age of the ages. But if you look at the Greek, see this ionos and ionon? Look and see if you can find it anywhere in this line right here. Bam. Ionos. We don't get that in the English. But in the Greek, it says that he has rescued us. He's carved us out of the age of of, of, of evil. He's carved us out of this present evil age. And the glory goes to him from age, this age, to all ages. So the rescue of God from this present evil age redounds to his glory both now and forever, for every age. 
we will always be singing the praise of God who rescued and delivered us from the present evil age. That's an eternal song that we get to sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Did you hear, uh, was it Garth Brooks that sang it at the inauguration? And I was really interested in how he was going to do it. So he sang the first verse. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, and now I see. And I thought, what's he going to do from there? He went to the last verse. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I thought, man, he did it. <laughs> for all the world to hear this truth that God is going to be praised for his deliverance, his amazing grace. He's going to be praised from age to age, forever and ever. And when we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to sing about this than when we started. Hang on to it. Experience it. Like Pastor Jared said last week or the week before, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Experience it. Okay. Amen. Amen. Um, I just told you all of that. I just didn't have it. Um, God gets the glory in every age. Okay. So with that, amen. Oops. Boop, boop, boop. I went the wrong way. Sorry. Now. Let's get to the new material. Actually, some of that was new too. I didn't have time last week. Galatians 1.6. Paul says, I'm stunned. Thaumazo in the Greek. I'm stunned. I'm astonished. I'm flabbergasted. This is almost a mild rebuke. I am flabbergasted that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel? I'm flabbergasted about that. Okay, we're reading this and we're like, hmm, Paul, you're upset. Yes, he is, but we're missing something. This is, um, what, what am I missing here? Come on, what am I missing? Three! You just got, you, I'm going to send you your Mensa application. You are a genius. In almost every letter Paul ever writes, he does what is typical in a Greek letter. He follows up the two stuff with a prayer. With a thanks to God. But he doesn't in this letter. I mean, look, this is, this is, something's missing. Like one, two, four. When our daughter Gracie was very young and learning how to count, she told us she could really count high. We said, let's hear it. She went, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty, fifty, seventy, ninety, a hundred, a dozen. <laughs> Love that girl. Look at Romans. First letter we've got of Paul's in here. Paul, a servant, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand to all of those who are in Rome, who it's from, who it's to, 
Grace to you and peace, the greeting. And then what's he do? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He gives the prayer. Prayer of thanksgiving. Look at 1 Corinthians. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle. And our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, sanctified, etc. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. I give thanks to my God. He said, well, you're picking the long letters. Okay, look at Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, grace to you and peace. Blessed be the God. Another prayer. Just another way of saying it. Uh, Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, grace and peace. I thank my God. Colossians. Paul, an apostle, by the will of God, Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace. We always thank God. Not in Galatians. There's something that's... We, my grandmother had an expression. You got a bee in your bonnet. There's something that's bothering him. He's not taking time out for that. He's getting right to it. He doesn't say, I thank God. Instead, he says, I'm stunned. Thalmazo. I am amazed, astonished. By the way, that can have a good connotation or a bad connotation. You can be stunned at something in a great way, or you can be stunned at something in a bad way. It's pretty clear from the context, which is the only way you can tell. Paul is not applauding what they've done. I'm stunned that you're so quickly deserting. Deserting. Deserting is from the Greek word metatithame, which is a kind of a compound word of sorts, but it means a change of position from one place to another. So right now, I'm over here. If I'm going to metatithame, I'm going to come over here. I've just changed positions. You've got the word used, for example, in Acts 7.16, when they took the patriarch's bones out of Egypt. They changed their position. They took them from Egypt to the tomb of Abraham. Um, here, uh, I want to make sure we get it. Acts 7.16. Because there's a position. Paul's got very... Um, visual words in this lesson today. And because of that, I'm going to try and use some visuals with you kind of as my tribute to Paul. And he talks about in, um, uh, not he, this is Stephen giving the speech, that the bones of the patriarchs were carried back to Shechem. Same word. They were moved. They went from one place to another. Um, uh, when the writer of the book of Hebrews talks about how Enoch was not because God took him and Enoch transformed from being of this world to being in the presence of God. Same word, metatithemy. So, so this is it, metatithemy. Paul says, you've changed places. I'm astonished that you're so quickly moving from him who called you in the grace of of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel I'm stunned 
that you're moving from where you were in the grace of God and you're turning to a different gospel. Now the word grace, charis, we talked about it in the greeting, but I said it was loaded with theological meaning. Remember? All right. Grace, charis. I like what F.F. F. Bruce said about this. F.F. F. Bruce said, I think correctly so, the grace of which Paul speaks is not simply a benevolent attitude on the part of God or Christ. It's demonstrated. Remember I told you grace is a demonstration of a carry. It's demonstrated in God's saving act in the death of Christ. By which the undeserving, the ungodly, are redeemed, bought back. Justified, declared not guilty by the ultimate Supreme Court judge. And reconciled, put back into a relationship with God. The grace that Paul's talking about is not simply God's attitude of, Oh, I'm a happy God. Oh, I'm going to be nice to you. It's much more reverent and it's much more significant. It is a reference to Jesus Christ, God, saying, I'm going to come to this earth and I'm going to take your sins. I'm going to take your responsibility. I'm going to take all that the present evil age has to offer. And I'm going to die with it. And God will resurrect me from the dead to a new life. And in me, you will die to this present evil age. You will die to the responsibility of your sins. Grace is not some attitude of, oh, I'm just happy. It is a specific deed that God did for us. And it's closely linked to the gospel because as Paul uses the word gospel, euangelion in this sense, it means good news. But for Paul, it's that Jesus Christ died for our sins. It's not a reference to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those hadn't been written yet. Gospel is not a reference just to the life of Jesus. It's not a biography word for Paul. It's a reference. The good news is Jesus died for you and was resurrected. That's the good news. That's what Paul says. Look at what he says to the Corinthians. You want to know how Paul preached the gospel? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says the following. I would remind you, brothers, of the good news. The euangelion, the gospel. I would remind you. Here it is. I want to remind you. One of the translations says, the terms in which I preach the gospel. I want to tell you what I said to you, what the gospel is, which you received, in which you stand, by which you're saved from this evil age and your sins, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And so what Paul says here to the Galatians is, I'm astonished that you're turning to a different gospel. That you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace, in the death of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel. By the way, 
there is a nuanced Greek fun illustration here that may just be too geeky, but I just love it. So humor me for a moment. Whoops. Yes, here we go. Dif go back to this. Different gospel. Different is a translation of this word heteron, or heteros, if you take the ending off. That's there. Heteros, like heterosexual, is someone who is attracted by the opposite sex. Heteros means different. Okay? So it's translated different. And then here's another one. Alo, which is also trying to translate it different. But it's, it's not really different. Here's, here's what we've got. Heteros means of a different kind. Alos can mean another of the same kind. So Paul's saying, you've deserted for a different kind of gospel. Because there is not a gospel of the same kind. You have turned to a different gospel, a different kind of gospel. Here's my illustration. Can we zoom in on me? I had COVID in November, and the doctor told me as my fever got up, I could control it with Advil or Tylenol. I hate Tylenol. I love Advil. I was all over this Advil, and it worked. There's the camera. Can you zoom in on my Advil? If not, I'll put it. Oh, you, yeah, look at our camera. Camera people, everybody. Now, I could have deserted or quickly turned and gone for a different pain reliever, Wolf Brand Chili. <laughs> By the way, those of you who watch this from overseas and on the northern countries, uh, northern parts of the U.S., you can buy this on Amazon.com. Here we get it in the grocery store. This is like mother's milk and I'm not saying this wouldn't help your fever but this is really just comfort food it's not in the same league as Advil why if the doctor says take Advil for your fever am I going to say oh I got a better idea Becky heat me up a can of that wolf friend chili or for that matter I'll heat it myself okay no Paul says, why are you desert, why, for a different, totally different gospel? It's not even in the same group. It's not in the same category. Because there's not another one like it. But there are people who want to, look, understand the gospel, the good news, that Jesus died for our sins and we're forgiven when we trust in him. If we understand that, there's nothing like that. There is nothing similar. There is no other good news. There's nothing of that kind. There, it, you've got, it's that or nothing. It is that or nothing. You can't say, well, I believe that he died for some of my sins. No, he died for all of them. And it's not good news he died for some of them. It's not good news. He died for them, and as long as you do your part, He's going to take care of you. It's not works plus faith. It is him 
is what he has said. So, different kind. This is the only real good news. There's nothing else. There's nothing else that's going to deliver us from this present evil age. We're sure not walking out of it on our own. So, within the framework of that, he says, but there are some people who trouble you. These are people who want to distort. I don't have time, but they're great Greek words. I, I, I want to keep going, though, because I need to get through this. But Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you some good news contrary to the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus for your sins. If we or anybody should preach to you something contrary, let him be accursed. I mean, Paul says, if I come and say something different, it's not because Paul said it. It is not the, the messenger. It's the message that matters. Christ died for you. And this isn't true because I say it. It's not true because Paul says it. It's not true because Peter says it. It's not true because Pastor Jarrett says it. It's true because it's factual. It happened. Christ died for your sins. He died for my sins. To deliver us from the present evil age and all that comes with it. And so as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you, he says it, look, I'm going to say it again. If anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, if anyone is, let him be accursed. Uh, Greg, my buddy, uh, my email buddy, sent me a note this morning, said don't forget, the, don't miss the pun down here on this passage. He's right. I hope you can see it. The table's not blocking you guys. But here it says par, P-A-R, that looks like a P, but it's an R, pi, alpha, rho. And that exclamation mark there is because it's missing the A. It's, it's a, like a, kind of an abbreviation, but when you've got the ho following it, they can leave out the A. But that should be para or par, ho, par elabate, um, par lambano is the, the verb form. But there's a pun there where Paul says para twice. He said para, para, and just one right after the other. So Paul is saying, if anyone's preaching you a gospel contrary, para in the dative, when it takes a dative, means uh, alongside of, it means another. But it's another one other than the one you received. If someone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you received, let him be accursed. So if you're running with something, if you've taken to yourself something other than what you received, it's not right. Okay, Super Bowl's coming. Coach Max Bowman coached in a Super Bowl. Didn't you? Yeah, for the Buffalo Bills. Playoffs. All right, not Super Bowl. I said, well, the playoffs are here for the Super Bowl. Excuse me. In my book, Coach, you not only coached, you won every game you ever coached. <laughs> he said, where were you when I needed you? Coach, uh, could you get a little closer? Because I got blinding lights and I don't want to make a fool of myself. Coach has a football. I would like to receive that. Paralambano in the Greek, the word that Paul uses. Would you throw that to me so I can receive it, please? I'm open. <laughs> so... 
Now, coach throws me the ball, okay? I catch the ball. I'm running. And somebody's glove has fallen onto the field. Touchdown! No. Don't change what you received because you think you found something better. That is no way to score the winning touchdown. If you've received the football, then run with the football. Don't trade it out because this is not a football. There's no other gospel. There's only one. And you received it. Take it with you. It's the game winner. It is the victory. But those stupid, that's probably not polite, those stupid, but it's well earned. Galatians are like, oh, forget that, man. I found a glove on the field. And they're running with a glove. No. You received the football and you swapped it in for a glove. Don't begin to think you're running for a touchdown. Instead, you're cursed. That word, cursed, anathema, anathema is, it's, it's the curse of God here. It, 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 look, if Christ does not save us from this present evil age, we exist in an evil age that is cursed by God. Sin is cursed by God, and sin results in death. It's just the way of it. And the good news is that doesn't have to happen to us because Christ has died for our sins. And Paul gets so upset that anyone would distort the beauty and the brightness of the gospel and the grace of God, of the death of Christ for our sins, that he goes straight to this without even inserting the prayer he would normally insert. Because this is just right there in the front of his brain and it's flowing from his pen by the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. This is what John Calvin's talking about when he said, it is no light evil to quench the brightness of the gospel. We need to go to church, but before we do, can I bless you in the name of Jesus? Father, I pronounce a blessing by the, the blood of Jesus upon all who hear the message of your gospel. The free gift of deliverance from sin and death. The free gift of deliverance from this present evil age. Father, it is my prayer that everyone who hears your gospel will turn in their hearts and say to you right now, Lord, I may not understand all of this fully, but I'm in. Thank you for dying for my sins. I trust you for that. I ask you to be my Lord and God and deliver me, transform me, and I will run with that football guy. That is our prayer in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. Amen. See you guys next Sunday.